Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way what works and maybe what's more important, what doesn't. And our focus is on you as a sales enablement leader and or orchestrator. Sales enablement leaders need to develop specific characteristics that we call orchestration to operate in the blended domain of strategy and tactics, where you do both. Our goal on this podcast is to help you clarify what that looks like, provide examples that you can then take in action in your own company, and give you confidence to engage up, down, and across the organization. And as usual, we have a centering story. So Scott, what do you have for us today? So I'm going to lead with a quote. And I'm going to ask you to see if you can think, place the quote and the time period. Okay. Here's the quote. Why is water that is vital for all life cheap and diamonds are so expensive? Isn't this a, uh, something tells me that this is like the 1980s or something and a technology reference, like a Steve Jobs keynote or something. Close. It is? Very close. Yes. It's Aristotle, and it's about <laughs> 300 BC. You were right close. Um, you got my hopes up, only to, <laughs> only to bash it upside the head. Okay, well, fine. Aristotle's a smart dude. I can, yeah. I can go for that. Fine. Well, I guess he's Steve Jobs-ish in, yeah. in the sense that he's got yeah. um, you know, big thoughts. And they so probably they're, both they're, wore they're, like sandals. There's the know. close part. So why are we talking about this in Diamonds? Around the time of Aristotle, many of the people, many of the Greeks actually believed diamonds were literally tears of the gods. And between then and in the Dark Ages, many kings wore diamonds on their armor because it was a great, it was a great sign of health and virility and, and, and safety. And then in 1477, I guess that's the Renaissance time, Maximilian, who at the time uh, that, that this happened was the Archduke of the Habsburg Empire, ba later became the Holy Roman Emperor. So there's your Italian quasi-connection there uh, for nice. you, Brian. Thanks. You're welcome. Nice day out there. But this, this is pretty interesting. In 1477, he, he became the first person to actually propose to a woman uh, using, it, using a um, diamond ring. Ah, so it's his fault. I see. It is his fault. Uh, so, so, so that is, it then, in, uh, so we fast forward uh, to 1938, and the reason 1938 is a is a good is a very important time is because at the, at this point in time, the De Beers uh, organization we all know about De Beers cornered the diamond industry, and they commissioned a study because most of the diamond sales were happening in the United States at the time, 
And what's significant about 1938, yes, it's uh, during the Great Depression, and there was a big dip in diamond sales. They commissioned a study, figured out that before 1938, you know who they were trying to sell diamonds to? Directly to women. And what they found out is that they needed to sell diamonds to men, and specifically around this whole engagement ring uh, phenomenon. So a woman named Dorothy Diam uh, did, did a bunch of this research. And when it first came out, they came out with a, a she's the one who came up with the Diamonds Are Forever program. What's her and name? Dorothy what? Dorothy Diam. I thought, you were, I thought you said Dorothy Diamond. I'm like, what the, did she change her name? Okay. Dorothy that would be Diamond. great. Yeah. She's actually uh, credited <laughs> as being one of the first people to do product placement. So that. Um, Diamonds Are Forever. I remember Diamonds that. Are Forever. That's right. So that's, that became the slogan, and real, by, by the 1950s, uh, diamond sales had jumped. Uh, at the time, they were promoting uh, one, one month's salary for what you should pay for a ring. That went so well, they doubled it to two months. So those things are all going on. Now, what's interesting then, and at the same time, in 1954, so think about alchemy. We've talked about alchemy before, and people trying to make gold and uh, people have been trying to make diamonds or synthesize diamonds, and it, was, it wasn't until 1954 that uh, synthetic diamonds could be reproduced. Uh, Today, synthetic diamonds are its own industry and upon itself. So you have the regular mined diamonds that are used mostly for, um, for gems, but then the uh, synthetic diamonds are used for machine and cutting tools, they're used as thermal conductors, they're used as optical materials, electronics, and increasingly as gemstones. And to bring this full circle, uh, part of the reason gemstones are, are becoming um, an option is because of environmental reasons and people, people are becoming more concerned with it. So for example, it takes about 250 tons of earth to produce one carat of diamonds. Uh, or also some of the poor working conditions or the like. So what you have is, you know, coming back full, full circle to Aristotle, why is water um, vital and why are diamonds uh, so expensive? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons for, for diamonds and a whole bunch of people have different value for it. So that's our centering story full circle from Aristotle to Aristotle between 300 some odd BC to 2020. And we've covered a lot of ground here. Yeah, thanks. Great, great lesson, I guess. But I got to ask, so what? So what does this have to do with sales enablement? So what this has to do with sales enablement is the first part of that word is sales. How do we make sales today? And one of the things that we need to concentrate on is selling to value. And what does actually value mean in the first place? No human being on the planet can live without water, but water is cheap and prevalent and inexpensive in most places. Whereas none of us need diamonds uh, to survive, but diamonds are expensive. So what actually is value? And the reason that that's so important today is as we move into a digital, into the digital economy where customer experience becomes so important, what actually is valuable? Is the product and service that you have, is that what is valuable? Or is it the outcome the customer achieves? Is that what's valuable? So that's what we're talking about today.
Great. Well, we have with us to help us unpack this and actually we're using this in a, this podcast in, a, in, a, in an interesting way. I think our listeners are going to love to hear about this. Uh, we've got Jen Burns with us. Scott, why don't you tell us a little bit about Jen and have her introduce herself and then I'll come back at the end and recap what all this means to orchestrators. Well, I'm super excited uh, to introduce Jen for a variety of reasons. So Jen and I uh, go back a ways. Uh, Jen actually was one of the participants, Brian, if you remember. The uh, Sales Enablement Society didn't start as the Sales Enablement Society. It started as the Washington, D.C. Local Sales Enablement <laughs> um, Networking Group, which yeah, I titled. Right. That was, that's that, right. that was my baby. That's why you're not in marketing. That's true. That is definitely <laughs> why I'm not in marketing. So Jen, Jen joined us there. Jen's been the uh, been on the board of directors of the Sales Enablement Society along the way, and now she she runs sales enablement globally for a company called Acuvia. So with, uh, the the third thing, there are four actually. The fourth thing that I'm excited about is I'm really interested to see how Jen reacts to our centering story and connects the dots of what we're going to talk about. Jen, would you care to uh, add some color about uh, who you are and introduce yourself to Insider Nation? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm kind of nervous about the pivot to the centering story, but we'll, we'll see what we can do <laughs> from that perspective. But it was a great one. Um, so, so, yeah, I'm Jen Burns. Uh, and I'm Senior Director of sales, Global Sales Strategy Enablement Training at IQVS, as Scott mentioned. Um, and, and I'm really excited to be part of this uh, podcast tonight. I think it's been quite a number of years, actually, since, Scott, you and I have been on a webinar or podcast together, and Brian, similar to that. So, um, so it's great, and a lot of ha- has happened uh, since then, um, particularly since our early society days for sure. But, um, you know, but I'm very excited to kind of get into this topic today, particularly because we're preparing for a keynote uh, this coming week at our uh, global sales conference, um, which Scott is is going to be leading and I will be joining him in the discussion. So really important that we start to flush this topic out and wanted to use this platform to really kind of think through some of the key issues to ensure that when we put it in front of the sales team, you know, it makes sense and they can start leveraging some of these techniques. So um, it's really important, you know, for, for me and for my organization to ensure that we continue to drive, you know, value to our customers and very, very excited to discuss what that actually means today. Um, so yeah, really great to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. So in case you're wondering uh, and, and following along, let's make sure we're paying attention really cl- crystal clear. Jen is doing this podcast because she's practicing and she's practicing for uh, a keynote presentation that, um, well, we're going to do, we're going to do, we're going to do together. So we're going to do a keynote presentation for the sales kickoff that she's got uh, in a few days and we're practicing uh, landing some of the concepts. So I just want to make sure that everybody recognizes that we all have to practice. We all have to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. We're asking our salespeople to do, you know, get outside of their comfort zone. Uh, I think this is a great opportunity or, uh, to highlight that Jen's doing exactly that. So with that, uh, having said that, let's talk about value and why is this topic so important? Don't, doesn't everybody know what value means? Jen, why is, why is talking about value such a central theme for sales organizations in 2020? Yeah, so I think, you know, it reminds me back uh, to the days when we were trying to put a definition behind sales enablement, right? 
<laughs> it kind of means something different to every person. And, you know, I think for every sales enablement practitioner that's listening to this, or even a salesperson or marketing um, professional, it, the word value is a very nebulous term. And I think, you know, frankly, we throw it around, um, you know, in, in a way that it doesn't really clearly provide value. Right. So when we say we're value selling or we're driving value to our customers, um, I, I think we really need to be careful about how we use that term, because what ends up happening is it doesn't carry meaning. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons, you know, why, Scott, I'm so excited to, you know, to be working with you and, and growth enablement and trying to you know, work through what what the definition of value really means to to our sales organization so we continue can continue to drive growth. Um, it's really thinking about, you know, what it means to the customer, because I think we all want to define it from our lens, but really, you know, the value is what the customer thinks it is, not what we think it is. And so there's a lot of, you know, ways that I think we can get to that answer. And so really excited to, you know, to start working through, um, you know, one, how we do that and two, how we communicate it to sales so that they can articulate it in a much stronger way to our customers. Right. And one of the things that where this problem begins uh, or starts really comes down to as businesses, we tend to go to market. And when we go to market, we think, well, let's make a list of all the different products that we've got or capabilities that we've got. And let's compare those capabilities. And how do we, we compare those capabilities either by the speeds and feeds that we can prove and, and demonstrate or what we can demo uh, or by how we compare against our competitors. And I think the observation that we're on, Jen, and love you get some, uh, add, add some more clarity about that, is as we build more and more capabilities, one, we can't communicate all that stuff to people, it becomes overwhelming. And two, from a customer standpoint, one of the challenges is how are we gonna get everybody who is, um, who's involved in that on the same page, and how are we going to turn those capabilities into value for us? So are you seeing similar, similar situations and how do you go about preparing the right kinds of materials to have a value driven conversation? Yeah. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit because I'll give you my perspective and then actually I'd like to get yours right on, you know, potentially a different direction. So well done in a very, <laughs> in a very simple way, right. The way that, that, you know, and I, and I will come out and, and be transparent and say that this is how I typically view value, right? And I think others do as well, is that when we're trying to prepare our sales organization to sell more effectively and, and have better, deeper conversations with buyers, we often anchor that conversation to what our solutions are going to drive, right? So, you know, what can we increase or decrease? Can we drive revenue growth, right? All of the key buzzwords that everybody uses in their marketing materials or sales conversations. Um, and, you know, of course, that's all talking about products. And while we absolutely want to share those things, and they're very meaningful at different parts of the conversation, you know, conversations that we have with buyers and other key stakeholders, I don't think they're the things that really set us up for a, a good consultative relationship so that we can help our buyers understand, you know, what is that value that that they're looking for, right? Because we think myopically that it's directly, you know, related to our product and what it can do versus what actually is going on within an organization that directly impacts 
that definition to them. So I would actually turn it back to you, Scott, and just get your thoughts on, you know, one, um, is, is the pattern kind of that you see directly correlating value to product versus, you know, people actually digging into the, the, the value that the customer believes that they're trying to drive, which may be influenced by things going on in their environment. And then how do we actually think differently about that as we're crafting, you know, our resources and tools for sales? Because it's a very difficult thing for me to kind of get my hands around. Yes. So Jen is leading with all of you guys. She has a, a more refined view than what she's, what she's sharing. But Jen, you and I both have had experience talking about this concept of productize. And it's been really yep. well received with inside your company. I think that's really where, where things start is that we've just got so much muscle memory about wanting to talk about what we've got that we're losing sight of what's valuable for customers. That, that's one point. The second point is, I, I think it's really difficult when we, so let's say that um, uh, Brian were a real estate agent and Jen, you and I had a, a business partnership where we we're looking to buy some real estate. If Brian referred to us as buyers, we're gonna be put off because we haven't bought anything yet. <laughs> we're, so I think another, another challenge is let's, let's move off of thinking about the people that we're trying to sell to as buyers because it desensitizes it. And we, we treat them like uh, there's some formulaic thing out there just waiting. Um, they have all this demand for whatever our product and service is, but the reality is they don't. Uh, the reality is yeah. we have to create demand with them and uh, maybe we don't treat them as buyers. We treat them actually as customers and human beings. Yeah, no, that's, that's a fair point, honestly. And, <laughs> and frankly, if we were doing our jobs well as salespeople, you know, we want them to recognize, you know, in many cases, problems they may not realize exist. So if there's no problems in their mind, they're not buyers. That's right. <laughs> so, it actually makes sense to say it that way. I agree with you. So when we, when we, when we unpack that then, uh, what makes it, be, makes it very difficult is we're in the B2B world. So in, in your case, Janet Acuvia, you sell the pharmaceutical companies. Uh, so yeah. pharmaceutical companies are multinational, large, complex entities, and we're, that's what we're technically selling to. However, we're also selling to human beings as well. And I think this is where things become challenging is to not confront the complexities that exist in a B2B organization to start off with. So one of the things that we have developed is a, um, what we call a value equation. And there's three simple parts to it. There is the impact that we can bring to bear to the company that you have to co-create or agree on. There are costs and there's a bunch of different categories of costs from switching costs to um, opportunity costs. And then there's risk factors. And I think the, the reason that I want to spend more time on the risk factors is that's where a lot of humanness kicks in. In most cases, we're selling across multiple stakeholders. And that's hugely, hugely politically risky for people. And if we're not putting ourselves in their shoes, the fear factor of uh, doing something different becomes uh, overwhelming. So that, that's another, uh, another aspect of it is how much empathy do we really have for the stakeholders that we're selling to? 
Do we understand enough about what they do on a day-to-day basis? And then how do we connect the dots between the breadth of our capabilities and helping them achieve an outcome? So we've been through a, 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 some of this uh, at, um, you know, together on this, uh, Jen. What are your remarks on focusing that way? And um, why do you think that stuff is so important? Yeah, I, well, it, you know, certainly the complexity of the sale, um, you know, in different environments certainly drives a lot of that, right? But I, I think if I'm kind of making it relevant to um, the, you know, the sales environment that the sales organization sells into now that I support, of course, you know, we need to really focus on, in, you know, in order to, to serve our customers in the most effective way, you know, how we can understand not just their business, right? Because anybody can go out and do research and learn about how these organizations operate, you know, but really make it unique to the specific things that are driving that organization and the different stakeholders that have to engage with each other to make things happen. Um, you know, and of course, the, the more and more we try, you know, to lean into the, the complexity and understand how, how it all, you know, functions um, and all orchestrates together to to be successful, I think the more successful we will be as salespeople um, and as an organization in supporting our customers. And it's important for us to think about those things as we go into sales conversations versus how does my product fit into this company? Um, and I don't think it's an easy thing to do. I think it's it takes a lot of preparation and hard work and practice to be able to build a narrative around what that value story should be but the difficulty becomes how does it impact the different, you know, to your point, like if I'm dealing with different stakeholders across this organization that I know I need to all, you know, get to gain buy-in to drive my relationship forward, you know, understanding what value means to each of those different people is, is not an easy thing to do. Um, and of course, you know, from a politics perspective and operational perspective, a cultural perspective, it all, you know, it all matters and has to weigh into the overarching strategy. Um, and I have to say, like, I, you know, I don't know a lot of people that just inherently operate that way. And so um, it's a really exciting challenge to try to think about how this value equation can be leveraged to, you know, systematically change the strategy, but also give us very specific ways to look at individual stakeholders and how they all should work together to, you know, to solve a challenge or, you know, drive their execution strategy forward. I could tell listening to you, Jen, that you wanted to use some specifics that we are struggling with right now in that. So you did a good job of <laughs> generic and not revealing any, uh, any details for your company. Uh, one thing that I would say is what's so challenging is that putting the details or putting the things that are important in a human-to-human -human conversation into PowerPoints or documents is really, really difficult. But wouldn't you agree that when we ask people to stop thinking about the deliverables and the stuff and concentrate more on, on having a conversation about these individual stakeholders, say a chief commercial officer, um, a business unit leader who owns a therapeutic area, a CFO, uh, different folks like that, it becomes way easier. Would you agree that that's been uh, at least par for the course when we've been dealing with some of the salespeople? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, it's more easy, easier to attach 
you know, your approach to an individual person and what their role is in that organization than it is to look at the big, big picture and try to sell something that just is going against the grain, if you will. Right. So breaking it down in that way, I think, is is more digestible for a salesperson um, to attack. I mean, they need the, the tools and resources to be able to do that. But, yeah, I mean, I and, you know, I've listened to previous podcasts that you guys have done. And there was, um, you know, uh, I think Bob Apollo, who spoke recently, um, was talking about, you know, the importance of finding someone who wants to drive change. Yeah. And normally, you know, that is. Well, if we're thinking about kind of the grouping of stakeholders that, you know, that most salespeople will be focused on, you know, targeting, you know, you might be lucky to find one person who who has that type of mentality or is in a role that's a change agent, if you will. And maybe it's more than one and and that's fantastic. And then you're really, um, you know, in for an exciting ride for sure. But I think if we think about it that way. Um, you know, it, it will make it much easier for a salesperson to to kind of break down their their strategy and and tackle it with uh, the most amount of you know leverage that they can going into these conversations. So yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, that that resonates a lot with me. It's sort of that uh, it's that hero's journey that uh, people will go through, and you've got to be able to find somebody who has the uh, intestinal fortitude or the appetite or the courage to actually tackle something new. What we're talking about is that our salespeople are actually change agents in upon themselves and they have to find a counterpart who is willing to to have the courage to drive that and recognize that it's actually a journey. So those are some of the things that that we're talking about. I think the, the difficulty we run into, Jen, is the farther you get away from the, uh, I guess, the point of sale of the customer, and the more you think about abstract things like markets and personas and, uh, you know, tear sheets and things that yeah. uh, folks would be, build in silos, it makes it really difficult to connect the dots between the breadth of capabilities that we have inside our company versus the kinds of materials that our salespeople need to equip those yeah. change agents with the things that they require. No, it, it, exactly. And I mean, what you just described is productitis. Yes. It's going into market based on the things that you want to say because you need to get it out and you believe that that's valuable versus, you know, listening to an earnings call and understanding what drivers, um, you know, are, are happening across the organization and then, you know, kind of back end, um, you know, backing into it, right, around, well, who should I be going after, right, from a stakeholder perspective that would care most about this initiative based on how it aligns to, you know, the solutions that my company can offer. Like, that is a different strategy in my mind that can help set a salesperson up for success versus yeah. caring about, you know, a tear sheet that, that just isn't, um, you know, going to move the needle in the fastest way for most um, most salespeople. So I think it's just thinking about it differently, finding the opportunities to, to, to drive high level value and then connecting to the right person to understand where it really becomes relevant from a very specific perspective. So how have you been handling as a sales enablement professional, you're stuck in between these two opposing forces, right? On the one hand, you want to be more customer centered on the other hand, you yeah. have an organization that's organized into individual silos that wants to tell 
or prescribe salespeople what to do. How are you balancing between those two? And uh, what, do you, what, what would be ideal for you uh, if we could create a better definition or, or North Star of what value is? Yeah. Well, I would say one, it's remarkably difficult. Um, and it's in every organization, right? I mean, every organization I've worked in, it's, it's very much the same. And I think it's a common challenge. And it's really hard because obviously, you know, in, in most organizations, particularly sales and marketing, there's goals and objectives that everyone has to meet. You have to drive leads. You have to grow the pipeline. And I think organically, you know, we get stuck using the same muscles over and over and over again because, you know, we, we know that they do work in, in a lot of cases, but it doesn't work in the ways that we really need it to, to, to change the game. And so, you know, for me, it's been hard because, you know, obviously, um, you know, most of the things that, that, that sales enablement leaders anchor onto is, you know, how can we make our reps sell more effectively? How can we leverage, you know, value-based selling versus, you know, features and functionality selling or, um, you know, product selling, if you will. And all of those things are, are very effective. But really, when it comes down to it, I think we're not we're not doing the best by our sales organizations if we think about that alone, right? It's more, what does the customer, you know, really care most about? And then organizing our tools and resources around that. And in order to really be able to do that, you have to drive change across your different cross-functional teams that support sales because it has to be embedded, as we know, right, into the heart of everything we're doing, whether it's product strategy, marketing, enablement, and even into customer success and delivery. Um, you know, so there's a lot of things that, that we need to do to kind of make that change happen. But the best place to start is, you know, like we've been talking about here is the customer. So I think for me, um, it's really kind of building the, the structure and framework around understanding how to do that effectively, because, you know, like, we, you kind of mentioned earlier, it's not about a buyer persona and not every, you know, CMO or CIO or CTO cares about all the same things and they play different roles in the, in different organizations. So being able to think about what are the ways that you can get to understanding how roles work in each of the different organizations that are in your territory or in your named account list or whatever it is, how do you tackle it um, in, in understanding that, you know, the different stakeholders and, and what they're doing to move the needle in their organizations every day? And then, you know, figuring out how to build resources to do that isn't easy. And what we're that's why we're talking about this today. That's right. Um, so, you know, it's daunting. And I'm just being honest because, you know, look, I, I work in a big organization. There's a lot of different moving parts and pieces. I can't walk into a meeting and say, this is what we need to do. Let's change it by tomorrow. Um, it takes a lot of, um, you know, teamwork and collaboration and orchestration, you know, internally. And we're at the beginning phases of really trying to drive a more customer centric model. Um, you know, but it's, this is, I think the very beginning stages of an exciting, you know, path that we're going to go down that will transform the way we support our customers moving forward. Yeah, so I want to piggyback on that. That was a lot. Sorry. No. <laughs> Get excited. This is great. Uh, part of what we're trying to do for our podcast is to just have honest conversations for pe you know, people like yourself. What I want to highlight yeah. is uh, I think 
you know, we talk about this all the time, Jen. I think you do yourself a bit, bit of a disservice about uh, the wins that you've got. One of the things that has been fascinating is to actually have a conversation about who's the adult wallet owner. And what we have found that there's not a lot of general agreement of who exactly the adult wallet owner is. You have some people yeah. who say that are, are huckleberries, for lack of a better word, that, that, that the person that we're after is a CIO. Some people say, no, it's, um, it's the head of a, of a brand uh, uh, or, a, or, or an individual drug. Other people say, no, it's the executive committee or the head of, head of sales or the chief commercial officer. And what we're finding is all of them can be right uh, based, on the, based on the situation. So how do we create more scenarios based on that while moving away from this idea of a persona? And th these things are, are, are challenging, but as long as you stick to it, it's been, uh, it's been very illuminating. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, you know, I, I'm very guilty of building buyer persona maps. I've done it multiple times. <laughs> so I cannot act like I have not fallen into, fallen into that trap before. I absolutely have. But, you know, now that I, you know, looking at it from a different perspective, one, there's, there's a couple kind of thoughts um, that I have based on what you just said. One is, you know, if, if there are varying thoughts about who you're selling to in your organization, one, I think there's some positive ways you can look at that, but also it's, you know, it's also very telling that the, the concept of buyer persona actually doesn't exist because, you know, our sales organization and our sales leaders are very successful. They have varying opinions, but what that tells me is that they're selling to roles, not buyer personas. So in their mind, right, the, the sales strategy that they have in tackling, you know, these different markets that we're selling into um, even though one might think it's this person or this role and one might think it's this person in that role, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, maybe on the surface, it, it's, it's confusing as to how that could happen. But really, ultimately, what that means is our strategy is probably more aligned when we, than we think, but maybe we need to, to mobilize it around something different, like to your point, right? So what are the roles that we should be tackling, not titles? Yeah. So. Yes, of course, the C-suite, everybody wants to get there. Yes. So we can't ignore that fact. But in reality, is every person in our sales organization selling to the CIO? No, not even close, right? So how do we think about where those impact points are, those value points are, and we sell to that versus selling to the, the title um, you know, of that person in the C-suite? And I think if we do that, then we'll more easily get to the C-suite because the story that we're telling will resonate so much more strongly with that individual than otherwise, you know, it would have. So, um, so anyway, I, yeah, I mean, this is a topic I think a lot of people would have a lot of opinions about, of course, but, um, but that's kind of what I'm seeing. Yeah. So I think what's, what's challenging is there's a lot of existing tools that you can plug in to do a, uh, to create a set of slides that says, Hey, here's the answer. But yeah. because though th those, uh, are all just different perspectives from either a marketer's viewpoint, a sales trainer's viewpoint, or an individual salesperson's viewpoint, it misses the mark. 
And I think what, what we're finding is that if you identify, hey, these are, these are the different people who have money that can spend with us. Let's just, just yeah. make a, a profile and then see how big of those bags of money they are, right? Because a sales operations person might not have many bags of money at all. <laughs> he or she might just be an approver. So as we plot That's that right. out, then we can say, based on where they are in their organization, what levers, what value levers can they pull? And what's important to them politically? Because that's where the humanness kicks in. And when you start uh, plotting that out, um, for, for those listening, Jen and I, were, we, Jen and uh, somebody else we're working with, Matt, we've been uh, playing around with this idea like we're playing the wire and we're uh, plotting out the crime syndicate or, or whatever. It makes it a little bit lighter but what, what you see are very, very clear patterns, that there are some things that are impactful for some stakeholders that other stakeholders just don't care about. There are some cost drivers that some stakeholders care a lot about that others don't care. And then there are risk factors that are common that everybody cares about that we're just not equipping our salespeople on, on how to handle. And it's those risk factors that uh, if, if you think about that value equation we talked about, the impact that we can bring to bear is going to be unique to each individual stakeholder. The cost drivers are, that are associated with it are going to be unique to that individual and that company. But the risk factors are going to be common. Um, the, the common risk factors being, can we execute on this? How much political capital do I have to invest? How hard is it going to be to drive adoption or operationalize it? What would I do else instead of doing this? And uh, challenges around your culture, those are all real human things that go into the decisions that we're just not talking yeah. about. No, I mean, it's, it, it hits such uh, a chord with me, honestly, because if you think about the impact and the cost, right, those are things that you have more control over in your, in your, um, your dialogue with, with your stakeholders, right? You know, the impact points, of course, differ depending on, um, you know, the organization or, you know, the specific uh, individual stakeholders that you're working with. The cost, of course, you know, to, um, to acquire a new technology or switch or what the implementation is, right? We have a little bit more control of that because those are known factors in most cases. Um, you know, but the risks are the things I think we lack empathy for. And I think the productitis, you know, conversation is so critical here because this is where, you know, you can say, oh, we understand our buyer needs and we align our solutions align to the needs. And, you know, we're going to drive these business outcomes. And we understand that if they want to switch from this competitor to us, it's going to cost X. All of those things are known factors, but it's yep. lacking complete empathy for what that particular stakeholder or champion or change agent has to deal with in order to get this over the finish line. And if our salespeople understood how to navigate that complexity, I think everything else falls into place because it just takes one wrong conversation <laughs> and it doesn't matter how much your, your solution can drive X, Y, or Z, it, it falls flat on its face. So if we can prepare our salespeople to actually think about those things as they head into these engagements, I think it will make them drastically more successful without question. 
Um, and I guess, Scott, you know, just from your experience and you've interviewed a ton of executive, um, you know, executives, you know, across sales organizations and salespeople, I mean, you know, what have you found, um, I guess, is kind of the biggest missing factor that people are not thinking about as it relates to risk? Well, I think just having a conversation about risk, frankly. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is put a, put a sheet in front of folks that just asks the questions uh, and really be able to say, look, I know, you and I both know that you go, uh, to, as we go off, this meeting's you know, going well, but you're going to wake up the next morning and you're going to have some questions and, and, and they're going to reach at the pit of your, pit of your stomach and it's going to make you feel like um, you know, the juice ain't worth the squeeze. So we need to be able to have a human-based way to bring that stuff out. So what I like to do is yeah. think about like it just asking some questions or actually having it on a sheet of paper so I'm not asking them. It's, it's even lighter than that. On that sheet of paper, can my team execute and accomplish this, whatever we're talking about? If, if, if you're even yeah. questioning that, let's talk about it. Hopefully you've got resources, you know, in your company that can do that. That's one. Uh, another one would be opportunity costs. If we do this, what won't we do? So let's keep people, let's remind people that if we're tackling a change initiative and tackling change, it means you're going to not have to do something else. How do you factor those things in? How do you begin to make the case to get there? You don't just immediately start doing something. You got to plan it out a little bit. Yeah. What about the political capital? How will I sell this program internally? Here's the thing. I, I would say the number one thing that we're missing with salespeople is to realize that they're great communicators. And if we can turn them to help do help with the internal selling for our, our stakeholder, who, what executive wouldn't want that help? I mean, who, who wouldn't? <laughs> what, you're going to help me get buy-in on other people? Well, let's turn our salespeople to be that internal advocate. Benefit realization would be when will we see the early results? So you give them a game plan to say that focuses on where the quick wins will be. And then a culture fit. How, to, how do you define what common cultural barriers are to overcome? I think those are, those are the, the five most common things that no matter what executive you're talking to, being able to uh, diffuse a lot of the intensity and the emotions that are in sale that are involved in um, evaluations today, having conversations like this helps diffuse a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, th this couldn't be more spot on. And honestly, I would love to spend 10 minutes going into each one because not, not literally <laughs> just, you know, I think they're all really important topics as it relates to how, you know, our sales team engages. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was listening to you explain kind of the different components of risk, um, you know, is how the salesperson could take, each salesperson could take each of those different elements and think about how it impacts the different stakeholders that need to engage. Because I think most of us just inherently, um, you know, sell one way. And even if we think about all the different dynamics that are, you know, key 
uh, stakeholder would, would be faced with um, in their journey and in, in driving the engagement forward, um, it's preparing that person to face all of these things. Um, and to me, like those, that's where I can drive more value to my sales organization is if I could, if, if the end outcome of this, right, is that I could support my sales team with tools and resources, and they may not be tangible things, right, but more so just a change in mindset because they're fantastic and they can find creative ways to, you know, to do this in their own way. Um, but just having the mindset shift around, you know, thinking about the different stakeholders and how they sell the program internally. What does that mean? It means something different to every single person along that chain. It's not just your direct stakeholder that you're working with. It's the five other people that have to, you know, sell this up the chain potentially or across the organization. Um, and each person will have to do that in a different way. So they need to look at the engagement in a different way. And I think, you know, we, you know, I, I'm sure there are people that do this inherently, but most will just, it's, it's a one, you know, one track train that goes down. Right. And we try to do the best we can to figure out how to manage different people. But I think it's, we really have to break this down and give them the tools and resources to, to think about each of those components for the various stakeholders that they have to engage with. Um, because it, it really does matter a lot. So my reaction to that is, um, is a, is a couple fold, right? You mentioned uh, it may not be tan tangible. It might be a mindset. I think part of our challenge is we have to help create more space for salespeople to think about the human element. Uh, and yeah. part of the way of creating more space is to eliminate a lot of the quote unquote things that are things that people think are so concrete and tangible, but are just slides for slide's sake. Then we need to create tangible things that help have these conversations. And what's interesting about this is if you just get a salesperson or frankly anybody to ask, okay, let's the, the kind of thing that you're going that we're asking our clients to do, would you advocate it for, for you inside our company? Would you be willing to take that kind of risk? Because if not, <laughs> then um, just showing up with more deliverables isn't going to cut it. You have to recognize yeah. that people are putting their careers on the line for this kind of stuff. And we have to make sure that the reason sometimes our salespeople are so pissed is because they know they're asking their clients to take career, make career bets with them. And if we're not showing right. up and showing up and giving them stuff and thinking that risk management is some sort of lecture or something you can put on a, on a, on a key card, it isn't. Uh, risk management really is about the risk of the people that want to, we want to champion for us, their risk of getting fired. That's what, what, what we mean by the risk factor. It's more of, a, um, of, a, of an emotional or a, a, actually it's a combination of emotional and, and reality. And the more yeah. we take the risk out and make us easier to do business with, the greater off uh, we're going to be and the more value we're, they're going to be able to see and perceive. Yeah, no, it's um, exactly. And I, what comes to mind to me is, you know, um, a lot of people think, you know, I have this account in front of me and I have to go sell them absolutely everything in my bag because <laughs> that will make me smash my quota and I'll sell lots and I'll make tons of money. 
Um, and while, of course, we all want to do that, right, it's more about really understanding how your value cascades. And it's, you know, of, of course, we're not saying we don't want to get the big deal, right? We, we all do. But are we planting, you know, the right seeds along the way to really ensure that, you know, we're driving value to that customer in the most meaningful way long term? Um, because it isn't always about, you know, going to grab the biggest deal um, and, and, you know, moving forward to the next one. It's, it's really about, you know, setting those foundational elements. And I think this strategy um, around leveraging this value equation will help us, you know, really understand how to manage our relationships with our customers more effectively, which will mitigate a lot of the risk that, you know, that we don't want to end up you know, not positioning our, our key stakeholders, you know, well enough for, if, if that makes sense. It does. Make um, sense. And it's, yeah, it's not going to be easy to do that. But I think if we change, if we first change the mindset and then we, and then we, you know, upskill around how do we do that effectively in our current ecosystem? And then three, it's how do I, right. As a leader in my organization, work cross-functionally and in an orchestrated way with my peers to ensure that we can evolve and transform our support infrastructure for the sales team to be able to do this more effectively. Because, you know, initially we're going to have to rely on people to, you know, start taking these steps on their own. And then ultimately our goal, you know, will have to be to build, you know, kind of this uh, treasure chest of things, if you will, that will help us you know, do this, um, you know, moving forward. So I think it's exciting. Yeah. So as, as we wrap up, I just want to share one key point. Um, yeah. What's interesting is when you start factoring in, are able to say, this is the business problem that exists inside our companies, the, the client companies, their organizational business problem. This is the adult wallet owner who owns it. And here are the risk factors. The only thing that mitigates the deal size is what access level you have, not how many products and services you've got. And yeah. I think that's, that's kind of the big shift is that if you're going to sell to the adult wallet owners, then um, you could have, uh, you can literally close big deals all on one sheet of paper because that's how executives think. And they want to, they want to move forward on things that are going to move the needle on their business. Uh, they don't want to spend a ton of time on it. They want to take action. That's the way they work. If we think that we have to uh, show them speeds and feeds of 75 different products and services and bring in 30 different people to uh, demo it, well, what executive is going to want to listen to that? Heck, would you want to listen to that being sold to? Yeah. I wouldn't. Would you? Exactly. So I think that those are the things. Yeah you know, to, to, to highlight here is to make this come full circle. Why are we talking about value and what value is in 2020? And how does this relate back to Aristotle's question, the ongoing question that has been with us since we started thinking, right, as, as human beings, what makes something valuable? And in today's economy, where there's a lot of change going on, one of the things that's really, really valuable that we're not paying enough attention to is our ability to listen, to untangle complexity, and to give clients a common, clear path forward. And that's what we're talking about with de-risking. So that's how we tied it all together that you were nervous about beforehand. How do we do on that, Jen? 
Yeah, no, I, I, it was an, an awesome conversation and it has me definitely thinking differently about, you know, how I can think about value and prepare, you know, our organization, our sales organization to, um, you know, to position value with our customers. So I think it was very much well connected, Scott. <laughs> I feel much uh, better about the, the, the centering story than I did in the beginning, for sure. Yep. And that's the thing, depending on what you look at or what lens you put it in, even diamonds, people are evaluating diamonds now because of uh, the environmental impact, 250 tons of dirt to get one, one carat of, of diamond has people asking whether or not these things should be valuable or not. So the environment yeah. around us changes. So that means what's valuable changes. And I think one of the things that we have to lean into is yeah. we are in the midst of a major transformation of our economy. We're in a digital economy now. And that means organizational silos don't cut it, which means our salespeople have to navigate that. If they're able to navigate that, then they're going to be the ones who are problem solvers for, uh, and our competitors won't be. So that's, that's basically our, our wrap-up. I'm going to let you have uh, any parting shots before we turn it over to Brian and wrap up our podcast. Yeah, no, great. I mean, I thought it was an awesome, you know, conversation. I think it's good to distill down some of these topics for, you know, obviously for our keynote and, you know, just thinking through the, the impact um, that, you know, that we can have here. And I would just say one final thought um, as, as I kind of, pull all of these things together in my mind, it's really about, you know, how are we thinking of, of the, the, the bigger, you know, value that we're driving in an organization beyond just the point solution. Yeah. And I think that that's the nut everybody's trying to crack. And I think if we can, you know, really tease out this value equation and it can be, you know, scalable and repeatable, um, you know, a, across the different sales strategies we have, I think it will, will be an un, unstoppable um, because we have the value already. Yep. We, we do. We have um, best-in-class solutions. We just yep. don't articulate it the right way. So if we can articulate it in a different way, a better way, I think we will be tremendously successful. So, you know, thank you guys so much for allowing me to uh, be part of the discussion today. I thought it was really beneficial for me and, and I'm excited to take this forward. Excellent. So Brian, wrap us up. Great. Well, one of the things that you guys talked about, and I just wanted to tie off on this, Scott, was the value equation. And uh, you and I have talked about it, but I'll, I'll outline it here quickly. Uh, I just want to make sure our listeners are tracking what the value equation is uh, because you've used it a lot on the podcast. Um, but it, it's, it, it's actually an equation that you came up with where the perceived value is equal to um, the impact minus cost. So the, the impact of the solution, the cost minus the cost uh, divided by risk. Uh, can you share just a little bit more around that, Scott, so our listeners have a definition of the value equation before I wrap up? Sure, I think we can uh, publish that out, but there's the, the whole idea is that value is perceived. Value is in the eye of the beholder. Uh, the idea that we're going to create one scorecard or one ROI calculator or things like that, that, that might be true for lower level, uh, lower level buyers. It's not true for executives. Executives aren't going to believe our ROI calculators anyway. So it's all about perceived value. And with that, there are, you think about this as 
impact minus cost is the top is the top part that's that that is the numerator and then the denominator is risk and specifically risk of getting fired and if you think about that what you want to be able to do is you want to be able to come up with your impact drivers like are you helping them achieve uh, cost savings are you helping them with adaptability uh, wh whatever the whatever the driver is then you have costs uh, and the costs aren't just the cost of acquiring your products and services. Costs include switching costs. Costs include training costs of getting their people up to speed on it. Costs in, uh, are involved with um, adoption costs. There's a variety of different cost drivers that are all very, very common and standard. And then uh, Jen and I spent a lot of time talking about the risk factors. So just when you think about risk, think about uh, why they might get fired what's going on in the minds of those executives they're in these roles for a reason they're good at what they do and they don't take a lot of risk for arbitrary risk so if you can just think through and put yourself in their shoes how they might think about it that is way more of a factor and what you want to be able to do is if they perceive a high degree of risk their overall value equation to them or the perceived value is going to be low if you take risk away, the value increases dramatically. And that's, so that's the number one variable that you can use moving forward to move deals forward is to de-risk them. That's great. And uh, so if, you, if you're drawing this out on a piece of paper, you've got uh, perceived value equal impact minus cost on the top and then divided by risk. That's the equation. And you guys did talk a lot about risk. That's actually where I'm gonna start. And as, as our listeners know, I recap this based on the six attributes of being an orchestrator, uh, focusing on mission and goals, driving results by design, not effort, et cetera. So when I was listening to you guys, and that's why I wanted to, to clarify what the value equation was, because the number one thing that st stands out during this conversation is this discussion in and of itself. <laughs> like where is this actually happening in most organizations? You know, go sell value. Uh, you know, Jen was talking about driving value, value selling, value added. There's just the word value. It's nebulous. We assume that people know. And then, Scott, your brief walkthrough of this value equation that you just now did, who's having these conversations internally to simplify it for sales? And it's like, hey, sales, just go do it. Go add value. Go sell value. Uh, and, and this conversation's been around what can sales enablement do to focus on missions and the mission and goals to orchestrate this discussion so that salespeople have an easier time of it. And uh, it, it's a human, human uh, discussion that needs to happen. So there, you know, Scott talked about, there's a lot of tools and slides that we can just plug in and say, Hey, here's the answer. But those tools are, are not, they're very isolated. They're very isolated to somebody's perspective about training or somebody's perspective about field marketing. Uh, they're not about an integrated view of the value equation that we just outlined. Uh, Jen also talked about the, the idea of focusing on uh, understanding the customer's business, but moving beyond just this word customer. And, and uh, you guys are pretty loud and clear on the word persona and, and how generalized that can be to get to the real people involved and patterning, patterning out the real people involved so that we can have the right type of enablement uh, to help salespeople navigate. You guys also talked about prioritizing the right goals at the right moments, especially around the productitis discussion that Jen brought up a couple of times, where sales and marketing have specific goals and specific initiatives and activities 
but those activities don't actually translating into um, more customer empathy. Uh, and their customer empathy is, you know, empathy about Bob or John or Sally, uh, or, you know, individual people on the, on the buyer side of the conversation and what they are faced with. Uh, it really, and Jen had a great point. She said it only takes one conversation to kind of tank an executive sale. And the reason for that is you're dealing with human beings and they're not just going to buy because you show them something, you know, fancy and, and, or, or something that's overly simplified. Uh, another piece of this was the nature of orchestration was loud and clear. The salespeople, if they do their job right, uh, they're asking their customers to change. Uh, and in today's COVID world, it's, it's more than that. They're asking their customers to put their neck on the line, to put their career on the line, especially in these bigger sales. And when you look at that at that way, the hero's journey and what it means to be successful in that customer's organization, they're faced with a lot of the same challenges that salespeople are faced with. But how, who's listening to salespeople and who's actually helping salespeople uh, get the tools and, and also um, listening to them in a way that provides the, the reality that salespeople are facing so that uh, they can be equipped. And then the last piece or the last uh, outcome is catalyzing change through collaboration. Understanding what value means to people. It's uh, easier said than done. Uh, we all have to practice. You know, the context for this whole podcast is Scott and Jen are going to have a keynote. And uh, these types of discussions uh, and role playing this out um, is really important for all orchestrators to, to think it through before you get on the phone call or, or go live in front of people. And that's what's really uh, interesting and, and fascinating about this conversation. It's a prep for something that's going to be live action. Um, and I'll also say, in the final piece of this is, you know, this podcast, I wish it could go two hours. Sometimes I hear feedback, well, it's over an hour and I don't have time. But I found myself so, like, enthralled with this conversation, I forgot to take notes uh, because it was so fascinating and it's one of the very first, um, and I know we've done two other podcasts on value, but to me, this is one of the first ones where it got real in the sense that it's, it's something that salespeople um, need so desperately, yet the conversation just isn't happening. So for all you listeners out there that hung with us this whole time, I, I, I've, my, my, nature, my, my gut's telling me that this was the fastest hour that you've had if you're an orchestrator on our show. So that's the recap I have for you guys, Scott and Jen. Uh, great conversation and, uh, you know, look forward to continuing those conversations. And Jen, good luck in your, your keynote. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Awesome. And that's, uh, that's our show. Scott, do you want to take us out? Sure. So first of all, I want to highlight it's amazing Jen, it's just really, really amazing. You have the courage to kind of role play out on a, on a podcast. Um, I've maybe lied to you that we have six listeners. We have more than six listeners. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I think it takes a lot of courage. But at least for me, uh, I think it's really valuable to get a chance to practice beforehand. And uh, I can tell by where you were going. Uh, I think I know where we're going to end up. So hopefully you feel uh, feel good. How do you feel good? How, how do you feel about having done this and being ready for your uh, for the keynote that we're going to do together? I'm not doing it. We're doing it together. How do you feel about it? Yeah, 
No, I feel, I feel really good. I mean, you know, obviously anytime that you roll out new concepts like this, it's, it's risky because you got to make sure people understand how to take it and run with it um, after the fact. So I think in talking through it, um, it definitely gives me a, a pretty good idea of, you know, how we need to make sure that we're giving them something they can grab onto. And, and then we have to really work hard at evolving it, you know, moving forward. So I feel good. I think it's going to land. I'm excited about it. Well, it's, of course it's going to land. I mean, I'm, I'm doing it too. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. That was a but, dumb comment. But, but, but um, here are the things that we were worried about before. We, we wanted to make sure it was from a design point. I think this is valuable for, for other folks. So we, we talked, uh, I guess, last week about what this was going to have. It was not more than last. It was more than last week. But number one, we have to have an idea of why, should, why to get people to pay attention to why we're talking about value in the first place. And uh, I think we have some good ideas on that. Number two, how do we make it tangible to where it's not just, uh, not just theoretical? And I think uh, if we talk about uh, the inventory of some of the different uh, stakeholders and some of the accounts that we've had a chance, Jen, to, to, to profile this and connect the dots between bi- different business problems that different altitude levels of stakeholders have, the individual stakeholders, what they care about, and then be, create a lot more space on the empathy part for the risk, taking the risk out. I think that uh, accomplishes goal number two. And then goal number three, which, which you brought up was, um, hey, uh, how would we get them to profile it so that um, uh, they have something to bring it, uh, bring it forward? I think I, at least, uh, Hearing you talk, it was great. I could see I, I could see your gears turning. I can't wait to talk. And once we stop recording, but do you feel like we were able to accomplish uh, those three design points? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I did. And I, I think just really quickly, and I know I'm overstaying my welcome here, but um, I think the the tangible piece is really you know, for me, the most important, because I think conceptually these, these folks are going to, are going to be very excited about, you know, thinking about their engagement differently um, with some of these concepts. I think helping them, you know, put pen to paper, if you will, is, is the exciting part. And I think once we can do that, they're going to just be super pumped. And it's kind of one of those things where, you know, as a salesperson, and I was one for many, many years, you hear something like this and you can't wait to go try it. Yeah. Right. Like this is something I think our sales team, which, you know, for the most part are executive salespeople are going to hear this and just, they're not going to be able to wait to go start having these conversations. So that's what gets me excited. I know they'll be excited and yeah, ready to, to rock and roll this week. Awesome. Awesome. Well, great job, you guys. It was a great conversation and uh, listeners, if you have feedback, if you have thoughts to share, let us know. Also, check out orchestratesales.com, the new home for the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. You can join the site for free. Uh, let us know what you think about the new, uh, new site and what we're doing there. And we'll see you on the next show. Take care. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, please make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea of what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at orchestratesales.com. You can also connect with them online by going to orchestratesales.com, following them on Twitter, 
or sending them a LinkedIn connection request. 